Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to introduce Mary Schwartz. Mary is with ICF, and she has over 20 years of experience leading customer experience, digital digital enablement, and transformation teams. A distinguished digital strategist and expert in marketing, campaign designs, and measurement. She's passionate about advancing the collective understanding of how to harness big data to improve performance and is adept at guiding clients as they reimagine their digital future. And one of the things that Mary shared with me that was I thought was so great is creating a shared understanding of what we want to achieve. So as a team, as a company, at every level, creating that shared understanding. So Mary, welcome. And thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I can't wait to talk more. Uh, As you know, I I love to talk about team engagement and enablement. And uh, as you said, that shared understanding, it's the linchpin. It is how you motivate teams. It's how you have uh, people with very disparate points of view and and functions and, and priorities priorities really stay aligned and, and aimed in the right direction and in the same direction. I I so totally agree with that. Um, that and I I talk about creating the vision and sharing that envision that vision and enrolling others in accomplishing it. So it's really when I saw that sentence there, it was like this is exactly what I talk about. So what what I would love to hear is with your teams and even at ICF creating those shared vision and enrolling others so that they really feel like they're responsible and they're accountable. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because ICF is is a consultancy in, in the classic sense. We have people who do program design, implementation. We have large technical teams that build and make technology. We have cyber teams that help to think about security and how it's um, how it's reinforced and structured. And, and my team is actually called as part of the next group, um, next being our agency arm within ICF. So we focus on engagement in digital. And I run the next government team. So we have about 350 professionals who focus on what I like to think of as creating context for, for how we interact with citizens, how we create tools uh, that citizens will use to achieve their goals, how we disseminate information, how we structure it so that when we're putting it in the public's hands, we're we're giving it with purpose, utility, and, and making it actionable, giving that context. Um, and you know, it's it is it's challenging because I have teams that while they all fit in ultimately into a um, a customer experience or an engagement uh, kind of realm in that we have a creative studio with writers and designers and, and digital people. And we have account teams that do have a um, project managers and account leads. And, and analysts and project coordinators who handle all the stuff. And then we have behavioral scientists who work with us as part of our, our campaigns that we're 
when we're looking to drive and stimulate uh, behavior change and research teams. So research analysts that are taking, that are running, creating our own research and analyzing secondary resources. And then we have a whole digital team. So we have all of these capabilities. And, and I had a team member probably uh, about a month ago had said, you know, you haven't really articulated the strategy well. And I was taken aback because I said, I haven't articulated the strategy. That's all I've been doing. That when we bring these resources together, we impact more change. We're able to accomplish the following, that we're pushing forward. We're not just using traditional strategies, but we're thinking about how do we better leverage digital and technologies in order to achieve these goals and missions. And she had said, yes, but it doesn't make sense because it's not telling us how we, and to your point, if we don't make give team members that contact, if we don't show them where they fit and how their contribution is essential to an organization functioning, to a program moving forward, we might as well be sitting still or going backwards. And when employees see how they fit mm -hmm. and how what they bring is critical to cre creating that. Exactly. And it's interesting because part of the challenge that I often see is, is creating that thread. So I have I have an engineering team. Like, how does the engineering team relate to a graphic designer? Well, sometimes they say, oh, well, I use those resources. But how do you get it away from a silo and a handoff to really creating that context of you fit together because you're all looking to do to create the utility and the purpose for why and, we, and how we create tools and campaigns and messages. And it's interesting because um, ICF has a larger strategy where uh, where we work, we do a tremendous amount of work in digital transformation. And we have teams that you could say, oh, well, they butt up against one another, except when you think about where you fit in that continuum. And again, the next teams really focus on being that context engine. And then we have program delivery teams that help clients achieve their outcomes. So they're actually digging in and doing the work. And then we have technology teams that are enabling it. They are creating the systems that allow work to flow. And likewise, we have business process teams that are helping organizations think through how they should be working. And when we start to see where we fit, that it's uh, one very, very long Venn diagram, and we look for those overlap points, that's where the magic happens. And that's to your point where people see where their contribution is necessary and essential and how we can build up mutual respect across the teams by showing the value and the continued contribution so that it's not handoff, but rather a, uh, an enhancement. And, and you, the level of involvement ebbs and flows, but ultimately we do try and stay connected so that we have that value saying that persistent value and sense of place. Yeah, I, I see that, that, that ebb and flow and how do you what what supports you in keeping that because it's important to keep connected mm -hmm. without being overbearing and being on top of yes well and it's interesting as a leader and and it's probably as i'm developing and building leaders the thing the hardest transition for them is to go from running something to diving in and out to influencing it and i'm sure you're familiar with the notions of the spheres spheres of influence and spheres of control and as you grow as a leader you really have to give up the control. You have to surrender that and you have to trust that your teams are able to execute it. And it's finding that right balance of staying engaged, staying aware so that you can be helpful. You can help solve problems. You can drive challenge teams when they're in not a rut. Rut isn't a fair word, but where maybe they're they're doing the work, but not necessarily thinking about pushing really the, the outcome they're looking to achieve so that you can challenge and stimulate them without getting sucked into the day-to-day. -day. So it, it, that achieving that right level of balance is really critical. And for a lot of leaders, it goes up and down. So yes. you, you have to know when to get in mm -hmm. and how do you encourage your leaders to get in and then not stay there? Yes. The diving in and out has to be while, and this is the really the hardest part is diving in, bringing value so that the teams who are doing the work don't just assume like, oh, Mary's back. 
you know, we're going to be distracted for the next five hours <laughs> until she gets out. So right. it's for what I found to be most helpful is finding a, is really talking with the team leadership, understanding where are the pain points, where are they stuck? Where do they need a push? Where are they seeing pushback on clients? Where are you, if so we, again, we're client services. If you're in product development, you know, where are you, are you not moving it forward um, and helping them think through what the solution is. So not giving them the solution, but helping them push their thinking so that they're getting to an endpoint. Or if you do, sometimes you do actually need to step in and, and, um, and fix, making it very discreet, be, very clear beginning, understanding of what you're going to do in the middle and a clear product, the endpoint that when you hand that off, you walk away, mm -hmm. you give them the chance to take ownership back on and that they can run with it. And again, that, that letting go is really the hardest part for most people to learn because we're comfortable in the doing. The doing is fun. That's where the really interesting work happens. So we all want to do that, but it's finding a way to dive in, do a little bit of doing, bring value, and then get out. So they know they can trust you and come to you when they need help, but aren't necessarily dependent on you to move things forward. And what I'm hearing is a lot of being the space for discovery. Yes, that's a great way to describe it. That you are, when I go in as a leader, I'm helping them change their point of view, that helping them see it from a different perspective solve the problem from a different angle and, and giving them some space to allow to themselves to pivot. Right. Exactly. They're causing it. You're mm -hmm. the space for it to happen and the, the space for the conversation to take place so that it can happen. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and again, holding them accountable that mm -hmm. when they have those conversations and they have those moments that they're actually acting on them and moving them forward. So sometimes that's bringing in the whole team and we're really just doing that follow-up with the leader because you want to make sure that that a key part is to not um, undermine or diminish the team lead's authority because mm. a senior leader can come in and people are going to listen. They're, they're dependent on me for raises and jobs and job security, all of the fun things that actually uh, are, are much less at risk than anyone I think realizes. But you can really take away that that authority comes with the role, with the position, and you can really diminish the, the leader in the room, their authority over the group. So it's just as important when I'm coming in or when I'm coaching my teammates to come into their, to support their teams, that they're thinking through of how do they help the leader in the room? How do they help them move the team forward and realign so that the team is going to that leader for perspective and decisions and for clarity without it having to always be escalated up? Although I do have to say, I think escalation gets a bad rap. I spend a lot of time re-educating teams on the importance uh, and the the need to escalate, that it's often as much an opportunity to coach someone as it is to um, potentially get them some remedial help. That just because you're asking, you're elevating something, that person may be stuck and may be super talented, but they might be in the wrong position or the wrong role, or this isn't suited to their strengths. And, and their leadership needs to help them figure out how to actually solve for themselves. Right. It's a really expanded view of leadership. Well, you had started with the, the emphasis on team. I am. I was having a conversation with a colleague last week, and, and it was very interesting because she was going through a leadership transition. The leader in her organization was retiring. They were bringing in a new leader. And she'd made a comment to me of part of what I love about the current leader's way of working is that um, they are very focused on, on the team. The team comes first and versus what the outcome is and what we're looking to achieve. And, and I was a little baffled because to me, when you're working together really effectively as a team, you can achieve so much. Mm -hmm. You can get to those outcomes much more effectively. And she said, yes, but your priority is on your team. The achievements come when you figure out 
How can we help one another do it? If your focus is on the achievement, then it's about what I can do. And you just don't move as fast or as effectively, which I thought was a really great nuanced difference that has a huge impact in terms of how we work and how we coach our teams to function as group instead of individuals passing things back and forth. Because that passing things back and forth also says it's not mine anymore. Right. <laughs> yes. Or the what... Oh, in a, in a not healthy situation, in what I call the ownership hug, where you hold it in so tight that you never get another person's point of view. And, and yes, you might complete the job, but you don't necessarily do it as effectively or well, or with as much value and impact as you could if you opened that up and you brought in other points of view and other talents. Which is why teams got created in the first mm-hmm. place. Because <laughs> as one person, we can only do what we can do. Mm-hmm. And you'll kill yourself if you try to do it all. Exactly. So that so that creating a team and letting them and, and really giving the team the responsibility and the authority to, to do what they need to do. Absolutely. That sense of agency is really critical. Mm-hmm. The other part, when I think about teams, it's it's not simply for scale. It's not so that we can just do more but rather how do we bring in those multidisciplinary teams? Who are, what are the other points of view that we may not be expecting, but would be really valuable here? Like, would it be helpful to have a sociologist weighing in? Do we need a multicultural person because we are dealing with two or three different populations and we get locked into a certain point of view? What are the other ways that we could slice this where it might feel like you're being challenged but you're investing that time in the design components up front in the research and discovery that allows you to move quickly once you're going because you're you're you have much more clarity in terms of what you're looking to achieve and how you're going to get there and you're clear on what are those points we need to make sure we address and that we hit so that we don't have some unanticipated negative consequence, which seems to be where a lot of projects go sideways. Mm-hmm. You start out with a preliminary idea and you just start going. But if you haven't really thought through, how is this going to be used? What's the context? What are the individual needs? How will the information be received? You end up recreating as you go and slower, even though you started fast, you end slow. Yes. When you're when you're looking at when you miss some of those out, mm-hmm. you haven't. And we're not talking about we're talking about the use, the ability to use some kind so when I, it's interesting because again, my teams are largely working in three general areas, communications, campaigns, so behavior change and digital enablement. And when we say digital, it's more of a citizen facing. So it's tools that are available to the public, information, uh, data sets that we're releasing. Data sets are a really good example of it. You can take data sets that are collected through surveys and through different work and post them on a website. Sure, you've made the data public, but have you given them any value? Have you created the utility? Do the end users know the context for how this data should be used? Are you making it easy or difficult for them? And 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 by doing so, by creating that context, you're get you move closer and closer to achieving mission because you're not just simply making things available, you're putting them in the right light. You are giving, um, you're connecting the related resources. You're helping people who are coming with a specific question, find the answer to that question more quickly, instead of leaving it to them to figure out, do I have the right thing? How does this fit? Where does it fit? Am I going down a wrong path? So you, again, you build agency by having, by thinking through the intent before you actually execute. Yes. You've looked at the, why are we doing this in the Mm -hmm. first place? Exactly. Because you can just do something. <laughs> you can get right, you that can. data set out there. Right. You can. I mean, you've met. So yes, you've met the, the requirement. You released data to the public. 
but did you release it in a way that anyone can actually use it? Mm-hmm. That it serves the, you know, that someone will come and find value from it versus coming, downloading, and then, you know, spending hours and hours sifting through this massive data, data set that when you're really looking for, for one specific frequency or, or one specific data point. So how and do we, we think of under, and under, anticipate the user needs? And then again, not only what their needs are, but how are they going to actually come to this? What will their personal capabilities be? Like, how do I make this so it can be immediately accessed and then used? Mm-hmm. And this comes from, this is so important, no matter what it is that you're doing, you know, why are you doing it and how will it be used? And there's an old saying, you know, uh, creating the, the right product the right way. So you're, you're creating something that people want and use, but you're doing it in a way that actually makes them available, makes it available to them. Uh, it was funny. I just came off of a call. We were working on promoting a product, a transportation product that uh, it was very interesting to me that it was strictly going to be available through as an app through the app stores, but no website. So we said, well, how are you going to promote it? How will you give people a test drive? How can you have them sample it? If you are trying to build a user base for something, they need to not only be able to have a, they're not just going to download it because you think it's, you, you've encouraged them to do so. They need to get a taste for it. They need to know what problems of theirs it's going to solve and that it fits into a way that they like to work. It's interesting in technology, there used to be not that long ago where you could force users to learn new systems, to learn your systems. Those yep. days are gone. <laughs> there are now user behaviors that you have to design for. And if you're not, you're going to frustrate your user and lose them almost immediately. So it, it's it's an interesting conundrum. I and mean, we've all had to pivot. And as we think about managing teams and the way that we manage work is using that to inspire our teams, to, to give it to them as kind of the, the, I often see that innovation comes from boundaries, that when teams are forced to work within constraints, that they really come up with some wonderful, interesting ways to solve the problems. And the constraints now are that the user, the end users, those audiences are driving all the decisions. You have to, there's no given, there's nothing you're going to create that's so magical and wonderful that someone won't come in with some preconceived notions about how it should work. And you have to meet them where they are. And so we've turned that into a way to challenge the teams, to motivate the teams, and to really force them to um, to think differently. So it's been, it, it, I, I do love where technology is taking us. And it's interesting, I speak about technology a lot, but that is equally true for the engagement teams. You know, there are more tools out there, more ways to communicate with people. How are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Are we getting into their information streams? And are we doing it in a way that people are responsive to the information, that they expect to hear your message where they are? It's, it's interesting. I've had a lot of conversations with friends about um, the permission that when you're getting information out, you have to have permission from your end users for how you're actually communicating it to them. And so the same goes when you're engaging staff, when you're running messages or you're pushing out, uh, you're helping them think about where they fit in the organization. You have to do it within the context of where they're expecting it and how they're going to be able to absorb. How will they expect to receive the information? Is it a way that makes sense to them? And does it make sense in terms of if you're explaining the context of where you fit within a larger schema, are you doing this at a time when they're open to hearing it and receiving it? Or are you repeating that message in enough different times and places so they start to absorb it more effectively? You know, it's interesting. We think about the many touch points it needs to make sure that messages are heard and absorbed, but it's also not just volume, it's place. Are you communicating both in a way and with the messages, but in a time and in a method that the person is there to re- is open to receiving it. Are you creating that context for them to want to learn, to want to be part of the team, to have uh, that energy start to build and take off? It can be such a motivating or demotivating factor. And sorry, I did just a big flip there for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's okay. 
And the, the thing is, the more, and this is what, what you, you know, so great when you said about giving boundaries, because the more open things are, it, it seems like more freedom, <laughs> except that when things get too free, people stop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it's like, I'm not, I too many choices. I can't make any choice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it goes back to, it's interesting, uh, especially now with COVID and with work and life being fully mushed together. We, I think team members are longing for that clarity, for that simplicity, for that simple, very pointed sense of purpose and, and allowing them and working with them and, and coaching leaders in terms of, yes, you need a lot from your teams, but you need them to focus on where they see the greatest reward, where they have the most confidence, and then allow the rest to trickle in mm-hmm. and, and and to be candidly forgiving with yourselves for the things that don't always get done and to really prioritize what are the things that have to get done. I mean, obviously, we all want it all done, but there's going to be something that has to give. And, and to, to be really clear about what are the mandatories, what are the nice to haves? What are the need to haves? And, and what are the things that we just do because we do them all the time? And, and can we cut those out? Can we change those beha- behaviors and habits to allow ourselves to use our time more effectively? Which is why it's so critical to have a clear vision mm-hmm. and why you're going there. Because then you can, I was, I was on a call um, with a client yesterday and we were doing that same thing. What what is it that you're looking at doing in 2022? And what do you need to take off your plate? There's a great innovation framework called the three box framework. And it's it's improving the now, stopping and impu- improving the future. So how do you make incremental improvements? What will you very intentionally not do to give yourself the time and space to do new and bigger things? Mm-hmm. And you and do that. And, and so you've got to be really clear what it is you're trying to create because we all think everything is important. Yes. We have this, we are, you know, <laughs> if I thought about it, it's really important to do. <laughs> so early on in my career, I was working as a membership director in a nonprofit association. And I was at lunch, ran into a friend I had gone to school with. And I was with at lunch with three or four colleagues. And the friend said, Oh, it's so nice to see you. What are you doing now? And I said, Oh, I work for XYZ organization. We are a membership organization that focuses on the following things. And it was very funny because my colleague who I was sitting next to and said, actually, we're an organization that pushes for public awareness for the following three things. And the person sitting next to them and said, actually, we're a policy organization. So everyone brings their bias. Everyone brings, you know, what's most important to me is, of course, the most important thing. So how do we make sure that we're balancing that and making giving everyone that sense of purpose that not only recognizes and rewards them, but puts them in the context where there's a tremendous amount of mutual respect for the rest of the team. That's important because people want to feel respected. That is, I would say that when team dynamics go sideways, it is a lack of mutual respect. And, and I don't think it's ever really intentional, but you do, the the, the sense of personal assault is, is heightened <laughs> if you don't feel you're being listened to or you're not being deferred to, you're not being you know, engaged or involved. So there are, there are some steps that we can take that seem like common sense that can help overcome that, but it does have to be genuine. You have to want the people that you've invited to be on your team to make them feel that they're wanted and that they're there because you see the value in them. And sometimes it's as simple as a leader in a team saying that you're all here for a reason. I chose you and I want you to, together we can achieve much more. And that can be all that it takes. Exactly. And even if you didn't get to choose the team, because there are sometimes that- Sometimes we are handed our teams. You, you're plopped in and said, take this and run with it. And finding out why are they individually there? 
what is it that they bring to the team? And what are they hoping to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Or contribute? Because mm-hmm. it's interesting. We think of, of work as being a one-way transaction, that we are contributing to something, when in reality, we're getting out. We're getting a social connection. We're getting professional fulfillment. We're getting often a learning experience. So how do we how do we reframe this as being actually a bi-directional transaction mm-hmm. between contributors and value coming back. And I think that is one of the things that has been missed in many organizations for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I assert that that is one of the pieces that is at the core of the great resignation of the resign. Totally agree. And, you know, and we've been, we've been part of that. We've had, it's interesting. Um, one of the most, part of the great resignation that's really bothersome for me are the people who we onboard. We spend a tremendous amount of energy recruiting, qualifying, and then onboarding them. And we we drop it at the onboarding because they'd start and they don't see a place for themselves. And because there are so many jobs, they're not necessarily giving it six, six weeks, three months, six months. They're saying, I can take, I can make three phone calls and be somewhere else in a week. So you really have to, the intent with which you onboard people. And we have great teams that that initial week is wonderful, but once they start either working on a product or a project, we have to make sure that sense of purpose and meaning and value continues that we're reinforcing it and they understand why we chose them and why we want them to be part of this team and the value that they personally bring. It's completely the intent behind that and the frequency of it have completely changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was on a, I was on a call recently with friends where they were saying that just the employment life cycle, how that has fundamentally transformed when we were coming up and someone who's similar age to me, that you were, you were lucky to have a job mm-hmm. and, and there was a certain amount of unpleasantness just scut work or things that weren't always challenging that, and you didn't necessarily see if it was the best use of your time, but you did it because it was part of the job that's shifted. And you really have to show, yes, there's always work as as part of it, but really explaining and putting that into the context of, of the value of the position and and the value the individuals bring is, is something that we as managers have to do now as, or we risk losing people all the time at all levels and all sense of tenure. So it's, you know, not just the new people who are onboarding, you can't forget those people who are there three, five years who might be in a little bit of a, they're comfortable. How do we keep them challenged? And mm-hmm. how do we keep them understanding that they are valued? This has been great, Mary. Same. Thank you. And if that. you can believe that we've been on for 30 minutes already. That is hard to believe. <laughs> we talk for days about this, I think. Yes, exactly. So what would you like to leave our listeners with? What last That's a really tough question. I would say that work is always with trade-offs and leadership. You have to decide what about the leading is most important to you. Is it creating? Is it adding to stability? Is it discovering new things? And it's perfectly fine to enjoy one or more of those, but to prioritize them. Because if you're not in an environment where you're getting what's important to you, you can stay there, but you may not necessarily be as happy or productive as you could be. And your own comfort and sense of agency and being able to do your job is a huge driver in the value that you bring and your ability to engage and stimulate and motivate. So not to be afraid to put yourself in first and make sure you're in a, in a context and an environment that works for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, and that really is for everyone, everyone. leaders or not, mm-hmm. is this 
the right place for me? Right. Is it the right culture? Is it the, the, the right pace? Is it the right technology? Is it all of that? Because we're, we're all going to be individually more satisfied. More I know engaged. I hire for culture now almost exclusively. Your, your resume speaks enough about your capabilities. I can check those with references. When I'm meeting with someone, it is straight. Do I think I can work with this person and will they enjoy working with me? Well, Mary, thank you. This You're is welcome. Just thank been... you for having me on. Oh, you are wonderful. Welcome. I've had such a great conversation today. Great. Thank you for joining us this week on Leadership Reimagined. I encourage you to take something that you heard today and apply it in your business. The key to progress is action and sharing. I'd love to hear what you accomplish. Email me at jlovis@lovisconsulting.com and let me know. Speaking of applying it in your business, if you're struggling or looking to expand your leadership skills, let's talk. You can go to lovisconsulting.com, that's L-O-V as in Victor, A-S, consulting.com, and schedule a quick call with me. We need powerful, strong, compassionate leaders to solve the challenges we are facing today. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and share with your friends and family. Thank you for supporting us as we cause and expand 1 million women leaders in tech by 2030. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you next week.